0: Keith with The Process Podcast, the show that looks at the intersection between creativity, entrepreneurship, and productivity. Or as we like to say around these parts, we like to take a look behind the veil and beyond the pale when it comes to the creative process. Today we have independent writer and filmmaker Chris Diokas in the studio, or actually the studio is really his living room that's really well decked out. Chris, say hi. Hi, everybody. How you doing? Hi, Chris. So I introduced you as an independent writer and filmmaker. What would you consider
1: yourself? Independent writer and filmmaker does sound about right. Uh, I writer mostly because that's the, the muscle that I think I flex the most. Uh, it's been a while since I directed anything, and I'm producing right now. But what I do most of the time is write. And, and in terms of writing, the, the biggest muscle I have among many is uh, screenwriting. That must will be your brain, I hope. Yeah, it is. Okay. Uh, it's screenwriting, and I won't lie, part of it is because, relatively speaking, writing a screenplay is a lot easier than writing a novel, say, or a really good poem, uh, which I've never written before. Uh, I've written plenty of bad poems. Things. are underrated. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I should say overrated. Who cares? <laughs> oh, yeah, and you're going to have a poet on this podcast one day. At some know, point. That, they're yeah. going to kick my ass. <laughs> they're going to kick your ass. Uh, no, it... it uh, I've done screenwriting to one degree or another for 12 years. Most of that's been learning, uh, not just um, structure and style and, and, and things like that, but tropes. The actual technical aspect of writing out a screenplay, you know, exterior, <laughs> interior, and all that jazz. Um, I've been writing for about 20 years, short stories. I've written a couple of novels that never really went anywhere, uh, and those are all great experiences. And it gives you kind of a perspective, or gave me a perspective anyway. On uh, the difference between writing a novel and writing a screenplay, and um, as my partner here would say, uh, <laughs> the what I came, the conclusion I came to. So wait, let's let's, let's backtrack
0: this okay, one, right?
1: You and I, we have a little bit of a history. Sure, sure. Um, wow, like,
0: you broke my heart in
1: Tangier. Little-
0: I wouldn't bring it up. <laughs> but you know, we'll always have
1: Paris. That's true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, all right, so maybe it's like, I think it's going by like 11, maybe 12 years going back. Uh, so
1: About 10. This year. But
0: is, it, is it 10? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a little bit longer because like I was teaching. I met you before I started teaching and I'm going to be teacher going on 10 years. So anyway, it was really mad. So yeah. we have, I've known you for some time and in the time that I've known you, you've done a lot. And you've developed as a writer, you've developed as an artist, and there are a lot of things you've done. And you know, so why don't you tell our audience what are some of the the things you've accomplished?
1: So, uh, all right, come here. <laughs> um, in terms of filmmaking, I've done a couple of uh, of shorts which have done festival rounds. Either I wrote, I wrote and directed them, or I worked on them. I helped uh, edit, you know, edit the screenplay, and then helped with kind of like. Uh, no, I really did. Don't don't be like that. And who, and, 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 and who would that be helping us here with our project? This, this is Hugo. Uh, and we will say hi to Hugo. Hi, Hugo. There we go. Now we feel better. Okay. Um, now and so I, I did a couple of shorts. Uh, I, I've done mostly narrative stuff. I've done a couple of document or helped with a couple of documentaries. So what are what are some of your shorts? So I did one that you're uh, most happiest with. The that i most happiest with. Um, the two, the ones that I've had the most direct hand in, uh, the one I did post New York Film Academy was called The Interruption, which you were a PA on, uh, which by the
0: way, when I was like, you know, like Googling your name, I was like, and I went through the pitch, I was like, who's that son of a bitch? Oh my God, it's me.
1: Yeah, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you got to see, uh, our friend David's apartment. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, he let us film there. Uh, that, that one uh, did pretty well in the festival. I, I hit, like, two or three festivals with that. Uh, it's definitely, like, one of these where it's clearly a first-time guy out of the gate. Uh, you know, I, I look at it, and I see what I should have done better. One of my favorite images from that that short is of the lead actress, this woman named Sarita Covington. And it's this really good image where she's looking off to the side, she's in profile, and it's right before I say action.
0: Okay, I have to say... <laughs> Right. This is an ongoing conversation. You mentioned Sarita, and Hilo starts to clap,
1: and he's got the biggest smile. <laughs> now no, he's never met her. He's never. It met doesn't her. matter. No, <laughs> he's, he's like, it's a girl. Uh, <laughs> and so she's an amazing actress. She runs a, a, a theater company called In the Cipher. Um, but anyway, that's like one of the best images of it. I, I did uh, a short called Only in New York with uh, I, uh, a friend, Vanessa King. She wrote it, and I directed it. And uh, we, we entered it solely to enter a contest. And uh, th- that was a lot of fun to make because it was a, a seed of your pants filmmaking. We had a, a camera and sound in... So what was, what was the premise of Only in New York? Essentially, so it was this, the contest was put out by Amstel Light, and it was about how great your city is in terms of cultivating the arts. And they said they wanted a narrative, so not a documentary. Perhaps including the brand? Yeah, uh, no, actually not. Oh, that's in oh, fact. That's there were a lot. Of, they, they said they didn't, it wasn't necessary. In fact, okay. the winner, which was not us, did not. In Ooh. fact, yeah, I know. They did not. I still haven't had Cell Light since. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they didn't. The winner didn't have um, the beer in it at all. And there were a lot of rules. Like you could have the the drink. You could have the bottle of beer in there, but nobody could drink it. Uh, everyone on screen had to be twenty five or over. The crew had to be at least twenty one. Um, you couldn't have depictions of... That's
0: if you had the bottle.
1: Right, if you have alcohol in it. Okay. In fact, but we made sure, I think they were following those rules anyway because it was for the brand, so we made sure that everybody was of age. You know, the crew were all in their 30s. Uh, and see? Dad did it all right. Um, it, you know, so it, it was interesting to have to follow those rules because a couple of people were disqualified for breaking them. Okay. Even though they had these really beautiful so, movies.
0: So what, what, were you, what was your guys? What were you of
1: idea? So the idea was we had an actor who was on his way to an audition, and he was running around trying to get asking people to help him practice his lines, and everybody was who was helping him were overacting, and just we had a good time with it, and they all had to basically say the same line over and over again, and we we basically called in a bunch of our friends and um, and had them just. Like I said, we had them overact. And that's a lot of fun for people who are actors, people who aren't actors. and um, thank you. And, and so we got it done in eight hours. Uh, we had when we did the initial cut, like eight minutes of footage, like eight minutes of, of, uh, of story, and we cut it down to a minute and a half.: Wow,
0: I mean, so I mean just in listening to you for this short that you did, it seems like there's a lot in the way of collaboration yeah. that had to happen.
1: You know, it's it's like writing a book, um, like a novel, outside of doing research for it, it, it's you in a dark and gloomy room most likely typing away on a computer. You know, that, not necessarily, but... No, no, <laughs> but
0: I, I agree. I like to think that process is like, you know, when you're creating, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning, it's you and it's just...
1: Yeah, in your laptop. The blank paper, yeah. whether, whether you're painting or whether you're just writing, right? So... Writing a screenplay is kind of like that as well because you're you know, you're putting something on a you know, final draft or Celtics or whatever. But the one thing I like about filmmaking is that even if that's what's happening, you're step maybe three or four in a bigger process, unless you're writing the screenplay from scratch and you're gonna produce it, you're you're very early in the process and then once it's done, you know, if it's a feature, tens, hundreds, even theoretically thousands of you know, low thousands of people are gonna read it. Uh, I watched um, The Wolverine the other day, and at the end of the credits, there was, I don't remember, there, being an in, there was an in credit sequence, but uh, at the end of the credits, they had, like, this this message that said, like, 15,000 people were employed because of this movie, and it was an anti-piracy thing.
0: Ah, I recall that,
1: yes. Right, and so, uh, but it's like, obviously, 15,000 people didn't read the script. But a fair number of people had to. So when you're writing a screenplay, sans partner, you're still part of a bigger thing. And 10, 20, 100, 1,000 people are going to read this thing. So even though you're probably alone in your apartment or whatever, your rented office, you're still part of a bigger group. And uh, you're going to interact with other people who are going to to critique it, and you're going to have to change it and so on.
0: That's interesting. I would cut in, right? Because we, we've gone on a segue, and I like it, so we're going to continue. Okay. It's our podcast. We can do that, yeah, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So um, it's interesting, right? Because I like to think about – I completely divorce myself from, the, from anything at, when I'm writing. I'm not thinking about sort of like the end result. Right. So sort of like if you're independent, you kind of have to think about the end result because you want to know – well, what's the payday? Or is there a payday? Am I just doing this for the love? Right. right. So, it's again, it comes down to you at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're writing. In my case, well, yes, in both our cases, we're we'll writing. Right, Right. yeah. 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm not thinking about that, that this is like the third or fourth step in, in, in the larger process. I'm just thinking about what works right here, right now, how's it going down. And if And if I'm really thinking about anything beyond the characters,
1: it's... Page count? Sure. Uh, if it depends on like what I'm writing. So if I'm writing something for like a spec market. So I did a western recently. Wrote a western. And uh, totally, it's awesome. Uh, I think it's awesome. And, uh, and and then
0: uh, are we going? Are we doing like
1: period piece western? Yeah, period piece western okay. set in I'm going to say late 1880s, early 1890s, out in Montana. Main characters. Now are we doing? How should we? Clint Eastwood western? Or are we doing
0: sort of revisionist history? Uh, Quentin Tarantino western. And you may not want to give too much, but I'm just. No, curious. no. I mean, it's like
1: uh, Lloyd Kaufman, the great Lloyd Kaufman of trauma films. Tell everybody about your awesome uh, movie. <laughs> and uh, so it's about a, a, a. Wait, did you
0: just bring up Like the guy who who, who gave us Chromaville?
1: Yeah, totally okay. He's awesome, in fact uh, The last one was exploding chickens with Diarrhea? Like, uh, he just did the latest class of Newcomb High How uh, was that? I haven't seen it. I haven't... Uh, I
0: remember loving it in high school because it was like, I don't know, making I, I people, blood, violence. Oh, yeah, no, sure. I, I'm sure stuff, it's
1: that as well. <laughs> when
0: you're to be a certain age, you're like, ah, I don't know so much about that,
1: but okay. So, so uh, the idea is basically, like when I was writing that, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a spaghetti-ish Western kind of uh, grindhouse-y uh, kind of story. Uh, uh, um And I wrote it not – I don't ever expect to see it up on a big screen because I wrote it simply because I want to show off what I can do. So when I'm writing something like that, I'm thinking of the characters and their motivations and so on and wondering, does the villain come off as the protagonist more than the hero of the piece? Uh, You know, it's the typical Batman-Joker conundrum, um, you know, when your villain's a lot more fun to watch than than the hero. But uh, writing that was a different experience than, say, writing uh, the screenplay that I did that we made. Uh, you know, my buddy Ellie Herzko made Carla, because that was going to get made. So, and I want and,
0: and and that's where I wanted us to talk about. So, so you went from small films, and then you directed a feature. You wrote and directed a feature. No, I,
1: I produced it. I helped oh, produce you it. I, I wasn't the there one that go. I wasn't the one that got the money for it. So I was like, all right, hand it off. That one, but but the writing the two of those was a different experience in the sense one I wrote with a partner, Carla, uh, but even if I hadn't, um, I had to take in a lot of considerations when writing that. It, it, you know, it's not being written in a vacuum. It's not being written to to impress. It's being written functionally, and so the only thing that really has to be impressive is the dialogue and just how the scenes play out. Like you don't have to have fancy sentences or anything like that because it's going to get made. It's like we have the cash. you know, it needs to be understandable. You know, it's almost like make it bullet points. You know, like a character does this, a character does that. So, like
0: almost like Shane Black style of writing. Uh,
1: like, yeah, writing. I mean, I think his is a lot more fun, but uh,
0: well, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, I like we. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm talking strictly stylistically. I'm not talking content. Oh yeah, I mean, we, like we have, very sparse, very clean. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's everything I mean, written
1: in the active tense. Yeah, well, I mean, oh, you yeah. try to do that anyway. But uh, for, right. so, so Carla was the one that got made in, in the western. is titled Crow Jane. And Crow Jane is a little more stylistic in terms of like there's more verbal, I guess not verbal, but written flourishes. And uh, it's a great name, by the way. Uh, it's based. I, I got inspired by uh, the murder Ballad There's two versions of the murder ballad. Uh, one's by, if you go onto YouTube, the first hit you'll get it was a Skip James, 1967, and it's a song about a guy whose girlfriend walks too proud, so he buys a, a lot of ammunition. 40 rounds of ball as he says and shoots her dead because she's acting up and he buries her eight feet under so he doesn't have to think about her but then he misses her it's like oh, i never the line is something like uh you never knew how much i missed water until the well went dry and so he kills his girlfriend and then he misses her the other one is nick and the bad seeds and it's a young woman is raped and then she goes on and kills the men who've who done her wrong and so I thought those were really great ideas it'd be awesome if somebody made a movie out of this whatever so time period is kind of it's, it's not in either of them but they kind of suggest you know Nick Cave suggests kind of 19th century
0: a different time
1: Totally. A different way of viewing women. Uh, it's really different. Yeah. And so uh, I kind of took the idea of, like, both of them. And Crow Jane, it never is explicit about what she is, but there's the Crow tribe. They're a, a Sioux tribe out in the Midwest and around Montana. And so I just kind of did a little bit of homework and thought, let's just let the action speak for the rest of it. Because, you know, you don't go to that kind of movie for a history lesson. No. You go to see people getting killed. And so... The creative place. Right. And so... Um, so, you know, that one I wrote because I don't expect to see it made. It's ultra-violent. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, kind of mixes both ideas of the guy who's in love with her but shoots her down or, or tries to shoot her down, and then she gets revenge and kills everybody in the room. And uh, it was just something to show that, like, I know the structure, I know the beats so, and the tropes and so on, and so here's this fun thing that I wrote. So, like,
0: exploitation... Film in the sense of like, what is that? Kill Pussy Cat faster?
1: Well, I would say it's more of a spaghetti western with a lot more trees because they tend to be like, like the desert parts of Italy, you know, or the more <laughs> parts of Italy. Montana is surprisingly lush. Well, I was uh. thinking thematically, but yeah, but so yeah, yeah. Get back just, to Carla. So, right. so it's a different
0: form of writing. Yeah, you know, you know the film is being made. You know, <clears throat> everything's a lot, so you're not necessarily cons- um, concerning the actual form. You're really just concerned with characterization and dialogue because you want to make your actors happy.
1: Right. I mean, you do want it to have a decent pace and you do want to take, take in mind page count because I think there's a perception there uh, with page count. We're in place and all the scenes were kind of, they made sense when they interacted with each other. And does the ending make sense? Um, is it uh, true to the character? It was true to the character, trust me. It was. And, wh- and who was your partner again on, on the film? So it's a buddy in a of mine. writing? It's a buddy of mine named Ellie Hirschko. Uh, I met him in film school. And he's a smart guy. Uh, he's a good writer. English is his second language. He's Israeli. He speaks, uh, Hebrew is his first language. Okay. So uh, he and I plotted everything out, and I just basically typed it in. Cause, because what we did was we used, um, as a guide, uh, Blake Snyder's Save the Cat. Just what the, is Blake Snyder's "Save the Cat"? What are you doing? Um, it is basically a how-to book on how to write screenplays. It doesn't really get much into the, you know, the actual physical writing of it with, you know, exterior and into like scene headers and characters and action lines. It basically tells you how to structure it uh, based on the patterns that Mr. Snyder uh, saw in films and. You know how things are supposed to kind of happen in relation to each other. But he also writes on a process. And so the reason we chose to do it this way is because if you have two people working on it who have different ways of doing something, it's better to have some kind of mutual agreement on how this thing should get written. And so that we could both look at it and say, here's the log line, here's our first basic outline, and then here's the detailed outline, and now that we have all the details, let's get it written. Let's just add dialogue. Um, We didn't follow it like holy writ, because there are very specific things he says to do, and we didn't do those. Um, but it was good to have. Uh, and in terms of that process of working with somebody, it was nice to have somewhere something to reference. So he calls me up, what, a couple of years ago. And he's like, Chris, I want to make a movie. And I'm thinking a short. And he goes, no, no, I'm bored with shorts. Bear in mind, I've made more shorts than this guy. Uh, <laughs> I and count. I counted. And, uh, Maybe it's, why he called you. Yeah, and so, and so he was like, I want to make a feature. And he goes, I have a line on some cash, it's not a whole lot, so think of low ultra low budget stuff, single location kind of things. We'll meet in a week and we'll we'll do this. So I think of a bunch of $250 million ideas. You know, no no short of ideas, just the wrong ideas, at least in the sense of like one location low budget. Um so the the week is up, it's a Wednesday, and I'm reading Dan Savage, and a guy writes in to Dan Savage with his problem because I'm a, I'm a guy who identifies as straight now any sentence that began is I am somebody who identifies as X the next part of that sentence is comma but I do something that's the exact opposite, opposite. of X <laughs> and so this guy uh, liked sleeping with uh, pre-op transgender women and he didn't want to marry one he just wanted to have fun until he met the right born as a woman girl and then he would stop uh, so I thought, well, what if that guy met one of these women and fell in love with her, and when she was going to go through the transfer- transition, he didn't want her to. So that was the idea I wrote down. And so then I throughout the course of the day. That was, like, pretty early in the morning. So that was kind of early in the day. And by the end of the day, I switched it around from the guy's point of view to the transgender woman's point of view. Because I thought, to me, it was more interesting... You don't really see that in it. At the time, you didn't really see that kind of point of view in media. Now there's Orange is the New Black. Amazon Prime just put out Transparent as as of uh, this recording. Um, so I wrote that down. It was just a simple, very, very basic log line, if that, barest of bones. And this is all I have. So I go and meet Ellie, and he starts, we're at Hummus Place on, like, St. Mark's and First. Very family-ish kind of place. And so he's pitching ideas. He's got these, these two, like, uh... You know, one's a supernatural thriller, one's a regular thriller. And they were great ideas. Don't want to do that. He says to me, Chris, you haven't said, it's been 30 minutes, you haven't said anything. What have you got? And so all I've got is this one story, and I'm thinking, he's never going to go for it. So I might as well just pitch it, and my piece will be done. I'll have some delicious hummus, and that'll be the end of it. So I pitched it. And he he looked at me and goes, We're going to make that
0: movie. (laughs) Okay, so you know, I got you here. What was the pitch? What was that pitch that got the
1: movie? Oh, Christ. It was something along the lines of. And para- ah. I'll paraphrase. Don't worry. Yes, uh, did. <laughs> I'll paraphrase. Uh, transgender woman, pre-op, uh, meets a really nice guy who, uh, when she finally gets the money to make her transition, doesn't want her to transition. So she has to make a choice. And that was basically the pitch. No real details as to who she was, what she did for a living, or anything like that. Just strong pitch Strong pitch Really strong pitch Built in uh, Conflict uh, You know He says We're going to make this movie And we have to take Some things into consideration Are we going to um, Are we going to treat this like uh, What's her face In The crying game was treated Right And we thought no Because That you know People are We're going to let her be known Right away Like who people are dealing with I know it's tough then the the question was it was something of a Chekhov's gun kind of question if it's mentioned in the first and and second act it has to go off by the third what do you want from me Um, so do we show full frontal nudity in this film do we show the pistol as it were and the, the, the decision was made that yes we would so when do you show it do you save it for the third act? Do you save it for the second act? How do you play this out? And so we have the, you know, so here we are in this family. I am unit. appreciating the extended metaphor. Right now. <laughs> so we're basically in Hummus Place, surrounded by nice families, and we, we say penis quite often. Like, and loudly. Like, when do we show the penis? Who's going to see the penis? Uh,
0: Where's the penis? He said
1: penis. <laughs> and over the course of writing it, we'd meet it at, like, you know, these diners in the <laughs> city, like, like City Diner up on, on Broadway, and of course we sometimes meet when the local churches came out and you know, the synagogue was let out. And, and be, you're throwing around words like penis. Yeah, like, you know, penis, penis, you know, so we did, seriously. So we got the we got the first draft written by Christmas of that year, I think it was like 2015 How long did it take you to do the first draft, and what was that like? A couple months. It took us about three or four months. Why, uh, why so long? Because we could only meet once a week. He's busy with his job. I was busy with mine. And, you know, there's only so many hours in the day that you can devote to it. Uh, the fastest I'd ever written a script, and I counted it, was 20 hours from logline to completion of first draft. But that's once. one... And ten pages? Uh, 97. Was it a strong draft? Yeah, I think so. Uh, and I've never been able to replicate that. So I, that was like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. That
0: must have been like in your youth... No,
1: it was... That was your David E. Kelly moment? Probably 31,
0: so seven years ago. Uh, <laughs> David E. Kelly moment? Yeah, I On the plane, so. On a plane ride, I'm going to
1: write the pilot to a really crappy Wonder Woman? Uh, I took a weekend. I, I write for an hour, took a break for an hour, write for an hour. Okay. So I did it Saturday and Sunday and went to a movie each night. Um, and that was just a drama. Uh, nothing crazy. But I had it all plotted out. I had... Basically, it was just plugging the dialog kind of thing. Okay. So it took us a couple months to write Carla. Um, we fin- I finished it on Christmas Eve. And we let it sit for two weeks. And then we started kicking it around, kind of fixing things. Uh, mostly just the dialogue. And we got our actors. We, we One of the reasons we chose it was kind of mercenary. I won't lie. Uh, it's a transgender character that's kind of, I'm going to put this in heavy quotes, Shocking. Um, and to kind of capitalize on that, we were going to hire, if at all possible, uh, transgender actors for the, for, two of the lead, for the lead role and for one of the supporting roles. And we were down to the wire on that one because we were about two weeks out from shooting when we finally got our lead actor, or actress, and uh, a, a woman named Jocelyn DeFreeze She's absolutely amazing. And the supporting character, we got Laverne Cox, who's now in Orange is the New Black. And so she was you know, absolutely amazing. Uh, we did the read-through. A lot of the dialogue changed in the sense that it just became more natural. Okay. Uh, which is going to happen. Unless you want something explicitly said a certain way, I would say to everybody writing a screenplay, uh, expect it to change. You know, it, it, unless they need to absolutely say something a certain way. I oh, you're David that. Mamet, and you're yeah.
0: goddamn it, you're gonna read what I wrote the way I wrote it because I'm David Mamet. And that's just the way it is. Yeah,
1: yeah, I suppose. You know, and a couple of my lines, like every line, survived in some shape or form, but only one or two survived the way I wrote them. Uh, my favorite thing. Do I look like Google Maps to you? <laughs> um, yeah, timely. Uh, <laughs> so, so we got it written. Uh, we had the equipment, you know, we, we had this low budget, but we managed to shoot it in about 20 days. And um, there are three cuts of it, each one progressively shorter. And to me, the middle cut is probably the best.
0: Now, let me ask you uh, take it back to the, the writing process itself. So you're, you're, you're writing with Ellie. Yeah. What was that process like? Are you writing at the same time? Were you working off with that detailed draft? or you go separate in your corners and come back? Like, how did that, like, talk us through that process itself? What was that
1: like? So, that collaboration. We started with a log line, which, for those who don't know, is basically the entire movie in one sentence. <laughs> I don't remember Carla's offhand. Uh, the example I always use is, is I always cobble together one off the top of my head for Die Hard. You know, New York City cop in LA visiting his estranged wife when, you know, Eastern European terrorists take over her office building and he's the only one who can save her.
0: Now, there you have a mouthful, and I'm extending that metaphor, yes. and even that
1: itself is a pun. So, continue. Uh, so, you know, so we, the reason that I like starting, and this is true for everything I write, regardless of, of medium, uh, I like starting off with a long line because it personally keeps me focused. If, if, it, if you don't, fair enough, you know, process is a personal thing until you get hired to do something, and then you better just get off your ass and write. But, See,
0: uh, it, I, I tend to agree with myself personally. Um... So, I'm in the process of writing a book, right? Right. And I have the outline, and I work off the outline, but... Because, you know, writing a book is a lot different than writing a screenplay. Sure, yeah. With the book, I like to have room... I guess I do this with screenplays as well. Room to breathe, because... Like, you have an idea of what's going to happen, but then the characters take on the life of themselves. Yeah, yeah. And they take you in places that you never expect. And so you have to kind of be comfortable with yourself, and most importantly with that character or just, like, give it freedom to breathe. Sure, yeah. You know, but I do like the idea of having a log line. Like, I don't operate from that standpoint, but it's absolutely important to have, like, a focus. This right. is the theme. This is what's
1: going to happen. This is the, the lesson that needs to be learned or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, it, and it just kept us both focused on what this was really about. And it's it's essentially knowing your starting point and your ending point and how you get there is kind of beside the, you know, not beside the point, it's the whole picture. But... Um, you don't necessarily need to... Oh, I'll take it away from you. All right, I think you can have it. Um, I exercised with that. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a workout disc. I can imagine. Yeah, Debbie Sievers is a bitch goddess. Um, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. but uh, you, uh, you, would, you would agree if you knew. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, we had the, the log line in order to keep us both focused... We hammered out the outline, but we were flexible. I mean, if the character needed to go one way, she went that way. Uh, If one of us had an idea, we'd we'd lay out our case based on the context of the picture. Uh, So basically what would happen was we would get, we'd we'd write out the scenes, paragraphs long, you know, Blake Snyder's rule is two sentences per scene, and then you have some little hieroglyphs at the bottom, but we were like, screw that. We're basically going to write a bullet-pointed treatment, which is what I kind of typically do anyway. And so then I would put it into Final Draft, add the dialogue that needed to be added, and then Ellie would look at it and change it if, it, if he felt it needed to be, and then I'd look at it and change it back <laughs> if it needed. If I if I agreed with the changes, then it was fine and, and we'd keep them.
0: So there was there was that initial trust that um, or I should say that I would
1: trust that the initial words would go through your heads. Essentially, yeah. I mean, we would we basically say she needs to have this conversation with this person. And this is what basically needs to be said, and so then we just then I would just basically make it specific, and then you know if it needed to be kind of ironed out, you know, fair enough. Um, And so then it would get back to me, and I'd read it through, and and I'd iron it out again if it needed some ironing. But the issue then was uh, getting it into the hand of an actor to actually have it read. So you know if you have this piece of dialogue that looks good on paper, but nobody can read for the life of them. Right. You're going to have to change it, unless it's very, something very specific. Um, so, you know, it, I, I really enjoyed working with Ellie. I mean, I'd done a collaboration before that I didn't enjoy as much. Um, it was very early on when I was writing. I mean, I literally just figured out how to do three React structure. And I got pulled into a project because I had Final Draft, <laughs> uh, you know, on my computer.
0: For no other reason. Not your skills or your ideas, no,
1: because it, it was the other guy's idea, and I would just type it out. Uh, and I had no problem doing that. I mean, gun for hire work, you know, it's a resume thing. So. Oh, absolutely. But uh, when we got it written, you know, we had to take in, writing that we had to take into consideration budget, like big time. How many locations can we pull off? Eight, apparently. Uh, what can we get for free? What can, you know, how are we going to work out her our wardrobe? Now, what was your budget? I don't think I can say right now because we're looking at distributors, and so you want to keep that kind of stuff on Got out. it. Okay. But Here's, it was a fair amount. Uh, but when we called SAG to, to get like the, the proper forms to fill out. By the way, working with SAG is really easy. It took us five minutes to get everything done. So don't ever let anybody make you think. Like, it's so tough. Um, when we called up and told the lady on the end of the line our budget, she said, there's no way you can do a feature for that much. And, and boy, did you prove them wrong. She was only kind (laughs) of right. (laughs) Um, We did it for a little bit more than the initial budget. We actually did really well. Uh, But, you know, we had to keep all that stuff in mind. So a lot of costumes people brought from home. Uh, The elaborate costume that Ellie wanted for the main character was never going to come to pass, uh, unfortunately. Well, yeah, unfortunately, because it's something that he was passionate about. He wanted her to look a certain way, and it it couldn't happen. Uh, and that's with a micro budget you have to consider that you know it's like was it Sex in the City 2 had a, a 10 million dollar costume budget we didn't have a 10 million dollar costume budget
0: um, and thankfully you weren't making Sex in the City 2
1: yeah <laughs> true but uh, I never saw that so I don't know uh, I saw the first one
0: I'll never see I have, not, I have yet to see a single episode and I'm okay with that um, but then again I've seen almost all of the entourage so I guess I'm I yeah, saw the male it?
1: version. Uh, exactly. No, it, it's a better show than I think most guys give it credit for. Uh, I think it's actually—I saw every episode. I'm s- pretty. Sh- you saw every single episode. I in, episode. I, in fact, wait, wait—you uh, watched. The, you were, You watched the show. I watched the show, and it got—I watched it to the point where if I saw the teaser, I could tell you the episode. Like I could tell you major plot points in the episode, like Miranda's going to do this, and Charlotte's going to do that, and Samantha's going to have sex with a guy and show her boobs because that's what she does in every episode. But, uh, yeah, I could have told you. And, and the thing is, like, it was a show that, uh, great aside here, it shifted from kind of like a gritty, real New York kind of show to a fairy tale. And, and they clearly knew that this show is not about the gritty realities of dating in New York. This is about something else. Um, and, it, you know, for what it was, it was a good show. Uh, I'll never know. Uh, you should probably check out a couple episodes. Anyway, I'm okay with that. They, but they do—they they, they do, they do something interesting with the Cinderella story. Oh, um, where the Prince Charming character is—and this is not for the main character; it's for one of the, the supporting characters. The, the Prince Charming that she believes is going to be the man of her dreams is the nightmare—not like a literal nightmare, but you know, the, the nightmare that you kind of expect from a frog. And the frog that she ends up with is the dream. And it's quite literal, it's like Kyle McLaughlin is the Prince Charming, and I forget the name of the actor, but, you know, he's a nebbishy kind of Jewish guy, he's bald and pudgy, and he's, you know, a total guy, but he's like the man of the dream, and so... It's, now, it's, but is
0: he the, the character actor from California,
1: Runkle, plays Charlie Runkle? I think so, Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and, and I thought that was really interesting that they would do that. And so they do some stuff that's pretty interesting with these characters. And, nice reversals. Yeah, and it's actually pretty cool. And, and so it's, it's one thing, because uh, at the, the writing group, the New York City Screenwriters Collective, i that out. that I'll I, give you the opportunity. You totally got to talk about that. Yeah, right? no. I. Uh, well, we're I,
0: talking I, about Carla. So, we but, went up on yet another tangent, which is okay. okay it's yeah, our yeah, podcast. Yeah.
1: So, so what were we talking about with Carla? Right, I'm going to watch Sex. I'll watch an episode of Sex and see City. I will report to you. Maybe one per season so you can see the progression. It's actually kind of neat. Um, but anyway, are, there, are, they, are they in that place? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Amazon Prime probably, probably has it. I'm Hulu. Okay, Amazon Is Amazon Prime? Prime worth it? I think so in terms of, because they have all the HBO shows, except for Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Yeah, they don't have... They might have only a, like a couple where they only have the first season, but... We have magical ways of getting a yeah. hold of this stuff. So, anyway, Carla. So, writing process. Oh Carla. Yeah, so, essentially, we got, we got a, a locked first draft by Christmas. We kind of cleaned it up a little bit. Uh, had a few people read it and kind of give us their opinions. And changed it... It was one of those things where, I think, with a good writing group, which we have, if... I dig it, man. I dig it. You're upset. If enough people tell you something's an issue, even if you never change it, you should at least be aware of it. It's an issue. Man. Yeah. So, we, you know, we we changed what we needed to. Um, you, know, you When you're working in a collaboration, you fight battles. Uh, you don't win them all. Uh, you know, but ultimately I'm really happy with the way that the script and the picture turned out. Uh, like I said, I think the... 85 minute version of it is the best it's lean it has some humor in it to kind of alleviate because it's a pretty heavy movie in terms of theme and content and um, so it has some comedy bits to alleviate things Um, but I'm really happy with the way it turned out Uh, but we had to keep everything in mind in terms of budget so you know she goes on job interviews well how do you replicate seven offices or five offices uh, you may know, you have to keep that in mind. There are places in New York City which rent out office space. So what we were renting for our home base, our production office, we used for these interview offices and just redressed these locations. You know, you, you have to have the characters home. Well, rent an apartment for a month is, like, depending on the neighborhood, like two grand. Uh, not this neighborhood, but... right. You know, if if it's for a month, you know, you can get them even pre-furnished and so on, and they're for business people, and they're reasonably priced, so you just have it for a month, shoot everything you need, use it as a uh, kind of a staging area or whatever. Call in favors, get other apartments for free if you're only going to shoot there for two days, that kind of stuff. There was a restaurant that's not around anymore called Swizz, and it was two locations, a restaurant on the top floor, a wine bar on the lower floor, shot a couple of scenes there in a day, you know mentioned it in the script had an exterior picture of it to kind of promote it if should things go well for it now of course unfortunately went out of business but we don't have to do that anymore now right um so you have to bear that all in mind when you're writing the script finally you know i only have x amount of money and i i want to do these things with it so when you're writing it you have to bear that in mind where does carla work well she works from home What does she do from home? Well, what's not gonna cost us a whole lot of money for her to do? No drafting tables, so she's not like an architect or an engineer, Uh, or you know, so in the the script she winds up as a a webcam girl. But that in itself presents issues. Would a webcam girl ever go out on a date with one of her customers? Yes, is the answer, so we we actually, in real life, we found that out. Um, So you know, one obstacle leads to another, but these things, you know, pretty quick research. You know, it, 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 you can find out the answers you need, and you get the script that you're looking for. Have some drink. It's mango. You like mango. And so, you guys wrote it. Right. You shot it. Yes. Does it hit the theater? Uh, it's it's done pretty well in the uh, the circuit, the the festival circuit. Obviously, it's pretty niche. So uh, while Sundance doesn't didn't say yes to it, it still hasn't. Uh, we did well at a lot of LGBT film fests. We won a couple of prizes uh, along the way. There's Canadian film fests that really liked us, and they gave us kind of an award of excellence. There was uh, the Long Island International Film Expo last year. I think it was last year. Uh, gave us a writing <laughs> award, and we got two nominations. So in the meantime, we're you know we're looking for a distributor, and uh, or conversely to distribute it herself, and when you do something like that you have to consider digital rights management which personally i'd suggest no um, so people can share it you have to consider what they call four walling it which would be renting a movie theater and showing it for say a week so you can get some reviews um, do you go video on demand with it and if so you know what kind of deal is that do you put it up on netflix or hulu or Crackle or any one of the, you know, Sna- uh, was it Snap Films? Uh, do you put it up in the Xbox or P- the PlayStation stores? Do you put it up on Google Play? Do you put it up in iTunes for five bucks to buy and own? Something like that. And then how do you market it? Who do you market it to? You know, now that we we had, uh, like I said, we have Laverne Cox in it, but we also have Mark Margolis, who is in uh, Breaking Bad.
0: Okay.
1: He's the... Uh,
0: which
1: character is he wheelchair rings the bell? Okay yeah uh, <laughs> has a pipe bomb in his wheelchair in a specific episode that ended really cool. Uh, he's in all, He's in all of Darren Aronofsky's movies actually from uh, he's, he's the he's the, the mentor in Pi. yeah and okay. uh, yeah so you know he's in it as well. so we have some recognizable faces and so you consider who you're gonna market this to. Uh, where, you know, people want to see it, who'd want to see it. You have to put up a Facebook page, and then you have to... Because Facebook will not... One thing Facebook does is they have you pay for um, exposure. So you pay 30 bucks and, like, 100,000 people see it. More than would have seen it otherwise. And, uh, you know, you get a Twitter account up, and you kind of have to keep that going with relevant uh, tweets. Yeah. You know because uh, you want to be in people's minds uh, or in their, in the eye of, uh, you know, potential viewers. And so then, you know, then you know ha- there are other things to consider, like, you know, if you take a cue from the film Sita See Sings the Blues, which I'm pretty sure, it, it, I know it's on Hulu, I don't know if it's on Netflix, at least on streaming. Uh, the woman who made that, it's an animated feature, she made a lot of her money back by, um, not from the movie, but like, not licensing it either but like selling t-shirts and jewelry and things like that associated with the film uh so you know it's like you have to consider that as well like maybe sell posters and t-shirts and so on with you know an image from the movie and so on so that's a lot of stuff that we have to consider going forward so things
0: that you would not consider at three o'clock in the morning when you are working on your screenplay while you're working on your creative crap is sales and marketing right now
1: you know, if how do you I'm, get if, this stuff out there If I'm writing something like, you know, Crow Jane, which is mostly for me, but it's like a spec script so I can show somebody, hey, I can write, Uh, what I'm thinking about is how to handle the characters, is this exciting? There was an advertisement for Time, a subscription advertisement in Time Magazine like 15 years ago, probably more than that now, yeah, about 15 years, Uh, back when I actually read hard copies of magazines. And... It was to subscribe to Time Magazine, and it was a picture of the band Marilyn Manson. And if you're looking at the ad, in the upper left-hand corner it says, they sing about you know drugs and sex and murder and suicide and death and all these other heavy themes. In the lower right-hand corner it says, yeah, but can you dance to it? And I always took that to heart, because like, yeah. if you can have the most important movie or story to tell in the world, if there's no sugar to help it go down, if there's no reason to enjoy it, then why would anybody watch it, or read it, or listen to it, or anything like that?
0: Because 20 years down the road, you can see Marilyn Manson in an episode of (laughs) Sons of Anarchy. Fair enough. Playing neo-Nazi gang leader.
1: Fair enough for Marilyn Manson. But in terms of, (laughs) like, if you you listen to, uh, like, if I'm going to watch a movie, you know, and it's a capital I important movie, you know, hopefully it's well-paced. Hopefully, let's be honest, it's like, hopefully it's entertaining. It's kind of like when you meet a uh, an attractive, like when you see somebody across the room for the first time, right? Like a woman you want to sleep with or a guy you want to sleep with or whatever. You're not sitting there going, man, look at the personality and morals on her. No, you're going, she's hot, right? Pretty much. You want to get, so it being entertaining gets your foot in the door. Uh, sometimes I think that can... That can well,
0: I mean, the importance of it, right? The, the the big eye could quite possibly get you in the door, but what keeps you in the room is, are you
1: enjoying it? Is right, it, and, it, and it's, it's like... If not, you walk out. Right, so it's like... Um, ah! what, yes, you go. You I, I, right. I'm about to tell him about it. So, <laughs> one film that I, I found surprisingly thematically heavy was Takashi Miike's Ichi the Killer. And it's a spotlight. I
0: have seen that film three times, each one progressively a little longer than any other. I've never made it past 15 minutes of that film because I, I just can't do it. I could never do it to myself.
1: Which is understandable, and that makes it a failure of the filmmaker uh, and the filmmaker's team. But if you do manage to make it to the end, <laughs> several things are going on. It is, on the one hand, it is a... Uh, an unrequited romance between the perfect sadist and perfect masochist they just never get it together man but it's also about how fantasies never live up never live up to the reality so which is
0: pretty much exemplified in the
1: first minute of the film so but but it continues on so you know the film opens with I'm getting to it the main character watching a prostitute getting beaten up by—I'm uh, talking about this in front of a child. A yeah. <laughs> Called child Protective Services (ACS). So the main, the titular character Ichi, is watching a, a, a young prostitute getting beaten up by her pimp, and his fantasy is that he's going to save her, and he's going to be the one that administers the beatings.
0: But 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 my question to you is, what is he doing in the process okay. of this prostitute catching the beating? Um, He's jerking off. Okay. Okay, but... I can, It took me a while, I, like, I... Yes. Okay. One of the reasons why I've never gone through that.
1: Okay, so, but, but, but her fantasy, conversely, is that someone's going to save her. and going to take care of her and treat her right. And she kind of hopes it's going to be Ichi to kill her, because they actually meet uh, later on. So when he does come and save her, <laughs> their fantasies clash. And it's a little awkward, as you can imagine. <laughs> to say the least... So, the main character, who is not the titular character, Kakihara, is the the guy in the cover. His fantasy is that he's going to meet the perfect sadist who's going to beat him up, the perfect masochist. Or hurt him. And, spoiler for a... Oh, gosh, it's a 15-year-old movie now. Almost a 15-year-old movie. Um, Spoiler alert for Ichi the killer. When they meet, Ichi won't fight him. He He won't hit him. He won't do anything. And so, Kakihara spends the end of the movie going, What's the matter with you?! The fantasy meets the reality, and it never lives up. Now, like you so were saying... By the
0: way, Spike Lee's redoing that film. Really? No. no. Okay. I, no. That
1: out there. I mean, who would? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a great movie. It's and like it's
0: redoing Todd Salon's Happiness. Yeah, I know, never right?
1: Needs never needs to happen. Never needs to happen. Or Irreversible or Although I
0: Although, Irreversible... I gotta tell you, man. Irreversible just scarred me for, like, a good while. I, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, the issue here, though, is you couldn't make it past the first 15 minutes. What? What? And uh, my ex couldn't make it through the opening scene either. Yeah, right? It's funny.
0: And that rugged... I am not his ex. No, you're not. Okay. Uh,
1: <laughs> but the issue there is, you know, sometimes you don't see the forest for the trees, but sometimes it's because the trees are just so aggressively violent and bloody. And that, in a, in a sense... You're right. Thank you. I like that one, too. that's sort of a phrase, Dad... And the issue is that um, the issue is that it's just too much. It, it, it's it, we can't get past the, the the surface of it, and that happens. sometimes. And that happens. It happens in Takashi Miike's The Audition. It happens in Irreversible. It happens in um, you know the French New Wave of horror films that came out in the early aughts, like Martyrs and Inside. Now hopefully, you're going to be able to use this. <laughs> Uh, and so on. It, you know, it's sometimes you just can't get past the surface of it to see what's really happening in the film.
0: Now, you know, you're talking, and I get a sense that you really give a lot of thought to the filmmaking process, really give a lot of thought to film specifically, and this, I think this is one of the reasons, like, you and I bonded, genre film,
1: right? Sure, yeah. So, um... Some of the greatest movies ever are genre films. Absolutely. And they are underrated because they are genre, genre. films.
0: Right. Now, um, let, let's 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 talk a little bit about some of the work that you do outside of, of writing and some of the associations that you are a part of, and, and some of the podcasts that you actually participate in, author yourself. So, there's a lot there.
1: Sure. <laughs> okay. Our audience. So uh, one of the things that I did—the way Keith and I met was uh, your love, our our host here was through—it was at the time the New York Screenwriters Group. Through uh, meetup. dot and uh, headed, spearheaded in a lot of ways by David Negrin he kind of just basically took over the the leadership of it because nobody else would. Right. It's a, he. I
0: think it, in, in the initial folks were you, um, you, Jackie,
1: Jackie Brown. Jamil, um, uh, Jamil
0: Lopera. I got a rate with a 250-page script. I'll yeah. never forget that guy.
1: Yeah, no, I, won't, I haven't <laughs> heard from him in years. Uh, Mario, Kitey, I think came soon after. Baxter Taylor came soon after. Uh, Laura Kelber. Laura Kelber. She yeah. was
0: there. I, sh- I think she was at the first meeting that okay. I was at.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, over the years, we we went from like meeting <laughs> twice a month, or every other week, essentially, and grew and grew until we had to it was going once every week and now it's six times a month and it's about 20 people per meeting it's always pretty full there's always some people who won't show I don't know why because they don't get a refund but uh, it's about 20 people per meeting and so I became a moderator for it because David was like I need somebody to help me I can't do this by myself this is going to kill me and we uh So I I help moderate. I'm actually going to be moderating TV uh, meetups soon. So that was interesting, uh, or will be. So basically the idea is that you write a script, you present it to David and his assistant. He had to hire an assistant. And it's put into a queue. Your your log line is put up. Your script is offered up. Password protected. So only people who sign RSVP for the the meeting can, can get it. And then uh, about 20 people read it, and then they come and tell you what they think about it. But it's not like going up in a firing squad completely. Because one of the rules that we have is that they have to say what they liked, what worked. And in fact, we're getting to the point now where you have to have at least three things. Um, And then they can tell you what didn't work. So what this allows is for you to have your script up. You can hear, okay, I'm really good at telling jokes, I'm really good at writing action scenes or whatever but the relationship between these two characters needs work because 6 out of 20 people said so and that's kind yeah. of a majority in, in our group uh, you know we we basically we've over the years um, we've had people option screenplays we've had people win screenplay competitions uh, as you mentioned Laura Kelber uh, she won the 2010 Zoetrope screenwriting award which on the surface of it you're probably hearing it going oh, okay fair enough that means that Francis Ford Coppola went. I like the script; it should win. And so her script won. Uh, it was called Fatal Woman, and what was great about it, you know, beyond just the action, and it, but the, the premise was it was film noir from the femme fatale's point of view. And so you get to find out the femme fatale's motivations in detail, and that was an incredible script, and she totally deserved to win, and we're really happy about it. We have Nickel fellow. Uh, winners that's the academy awards uh uh contest i guess you could say we've had people become semi finalists and quarter finalists and so on uh we recently had a member win i think the berlin film fest award i mean maybe a year or two ago um excellent yeah so it's like we're we're pretty pleased with what we have and uh what we've been doing we're very pleased i should say we don't subscribe to any of the specific um you know uh Writing programs like you know Robert McKee or Blake Snyder or Sid Field, but we don't deny that they exist. Um, so, so that's one thing we do, and we're continuing to grow. We're continuing to grow the group. We have a podcast now called The Script. Uh, a lot of times, what we do is—and what
0: is the script? What is this thing? What is this podcast you speak of? The
1: script. So it's actually mutated a bit, and we're going to mutate it a little bit more. But a lot of what we do is we watch a screen, a, a movie, preferably a new one. And then we basically break it down. How does the plot work? How do you know? Uh, what's the first act look like? What's the second act look like? How does it you know work with the third act and so on? Uh, we t- we tend to keep out whether or not we liked it. Although every now and then you just can't help but put that in. You know, especially if the script is is not as well constructed as it could be or should be in some cases. And I won't say which movies. Those are, Uh, And I won't lie. I mean, I've pulled a punch or two in my time with that because it's like I really liked a movie and... uh, Or I really liked the premise of a movie, but uh, ultimately, you know, it's like... Hang on a second. Pause. Hey, we're still... uh, So one thing we want to do is move beyond uh, writing... or, Or not writing, but podcasting about movies already, but talk about... Uh, aspects of, of not just screenwriting, but film itself. Like, what is an antihero? How would you define it? And there are several ways to do that. Tro- uh, genre tropes. You know, what what are the tropes of horror film? What kind of horror film? You know, is it a, a you know a, a, a suspense horror uh, a horror thriller? Is it supernatural horror? Is it you know something along those lines? And and, and how can you subvert those things? Because you need to know your tropes in order to subvert them. Right. And so on. It, it, things like that. <laughs> You know, what does it? What I'd like to talk about the business, like what does an option agreement look like? What should you look for in an option agreement? Because I've had to deal with that, and there are lots of things you should look for in an option agreement. And it's good to have, uh, it's good to have all of these things because it gives a well-rounded view of what it means to be a screenwriter and, uh, to a certain degree, a filmmaker. Last thoughts. We should water the plants. Quick takeaway. Yeah, <laughs> I should water the plants. Uh, I should feed my kid. Writing uh, writing a screenplay is like writing a good pop song, whereas writing a novel is like jazz. Okay, and we'll <laughs> leave it at that. Yeah.
0: Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you for Until having me. Until the next time. Yeah, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Chris Deokas and I. I want to give a special shout out to Baby Hugo for sticking it out and toughening it up while the uh, two old guys talked about movies and scripts and writing scripts and all that wonderful stuff. He was. A tr- this is the first part of our conversation with Chris. Stay tuned for part two coming down the line. In the interim, you can look for Chris's work at the New York Screenwriters Collective and check out his podcast, The Script where yours truly, Keith, has featured as a guest on a couple of their podcasts. Don't forget to check out the podcast description for resource links to today's conversation. This has been Keith Miller for The Process Podcast, Behind the Veil and Beyond the Pale. Until next time, be good, folks.